The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. As we're on the cusp of the holiday season of 2014, we're going to do a part two of a topic we did on this series just a couple of weeks ago. We found a couple of guests who were still here, haven't gone out on holiday leave of absence yet, and they're happy to be here. So let me get started. Our topic today, well, data, data everywhere in the buzz is data. The Internet of Things. If you don't know anything about it, let me explain just a little bit. It's a vast ecosystem of physical objects. You know what those are, connected to the Internet, and it offers the potential of huge opportunities to transform your business, whatever business you're in. But if you want, like, don't like the big picture, you want to break it down, the Internet of Things, and we familiarly call that the IoT, is nothing more than millions, and as I speak, it has probably escalated to trillions, of objects, devices, sensors, and they're all generating their own stream of data. It's continuous, it's big, it's ongoing, it's a lot of stuff. So you put these all together and you have what we call the ultimate big data challenge. So the question on the table today is what actually happens when big data intersects with the Internet of Things? And a more interesting question, perhaps even we're adding for this part two episode, is how do we balance data from the past with real-time data that we're getting as a benefit of these sensors? I have two of our three original panelists coming back today. I'll introduce them in a moment. We're going to do a shout out to Ira Burke at SAP, who is already out of the country on vacation. And Ira was the one who put this topic together. So shout out. Hello, Ira. Let me get to my panelists who are here with me. First up is David Stevenson from Stevenson Strategies. And David sent me the following quote from who else? Ben Franklin. Well, I don't think Ben Franklin's been on the show before. David Stevenson said, quoting old Ben, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. That sounds like Ben Franklin. David Stevenson, how are you? Welcome back. Bonnie, I am fine, and if uh, anybody is still looking for a holiday gift, I have to recommend Walter Isaacson's biography of Ben Franklin. You know, he was the guy who wrote the um, Steve Jobs bio a couple years ago, and Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I loved that, so I was looking for something this summer, and I picked up, it's a big, big volume, and I have to tell you, I think if Ben Franklin were plopped down through a time machine um, uh-huh. right here today, he wouldn't skip a beat. He probably would be developing some IoT devices and apps. I'm pretty sure he would. Um, you know, he was the first real honest-to-God American, and one of the things that made him so effective as a um, as a diplomat was his scientific reputation as one of the. Uh, fathers of um, 
the science of electricity, preceded him to uh, England. So uh, um, I love that guy. <laughs> I do, too. And, you know, that's such an interesting point, David. I'm going to ask you to, to expand on the quote in a minute. But an interesting point, what would Ben think? I, don't, I don't, don't think anybody's ever asked that question on any of our shows. What would Ben Franklin think and say and do and react if he was here and he had digital connectivity and social networking and he had sensors in his car seat? Uh, you know, what's the familiar footprint of his rear end as he sits in his car? And if his refrigerator was smart and his city was smart and a cabbie could look ahead and say, yeah, there's a bump in the road, we'll take the other direction. Ben would probably be fascinated. I think he would live hundreds more years because he'd be so excited about this. What do you think, David? <laughs> I think he would. He, um, you know, he was just an amazing guy and that he had um, with the, the relevant quality was he had an insatiable curiosity. Yes, exactly. And, uh, he only had, if you can imagine this, uh, for all of uh, the things he achieved, he had two years of formal education. And wow. other than that, he was self-educated, and he just never stopped. He, he would go on a, um, a voyage to England, which in those case, days would take months. And mm-hmm. what did he do? He um, did some of the pioneering documentation of... Um, um, the uh, the currents in the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> so he just he couldn't sit still. He was just always always innovating. Never missed a beat. Maybe he was the first human sensor. I don't know. Maybe maybe he was S S E N S O R guys, not C E N. I heard David Yonker, a second panelist, laughing. Uh, David Stevenson. So I I would I'm going to go out on a limb here, but maybe not quite so far. Maybe not off a short cliff and say an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. From Ben Franklin could in fact be his motto. It sounds like that's how he lived. Exactly. David, you think? He, he really yeah. did. That was uh, that was the embodiment of his life. Yep. And and I want you to relate that quote to our topic before I ask David Yonker to explain his quote. So what what do you think? How does that well, relate you know, to IoT? The interesting thing is that um, I think this is really of a piece with uh, big data and uh, the Internet of Things that. We are, you know, in the past, I, the, the, on the show the last time, um, I talked about this global blindness that, <laughs> analogy uh, that, that blinded every human being in the past so that we weren't able to, to see inside of things and know how they were working. And um, that's been lifted now by uh, the Internet of Things and by sensor data. And um, so we are, for the first time, able to make much better decisions than we ever were before. And uh, in the past, it was all on the basis of historical data, um, and even that was very limited because, again, we couldn't get inside of all these things. And now we have this really interesting challenge that you alluded to uh, in your opening statement of having to now come up with new ways of decision-making that um, uh, do a synthesis and balance of real-time data and historical data. And it's not going to be an easy challenge. You know, great tools like HANA can help, but mm-hmm. it's also going to require a lot of, um, of human judgment and um, I think a, a very interesting balance of data scientists and um, subject matter experts. And they're going to have to learn to complement each other. And it's going to be a mm-hmm. very, very interesting challenge and, and very exciting, I think. 
It is exciting, and thank you, and I'm excited to have you back, and I'm excited to have your co-panelist from the original part one of this topic, David Yonker at SAP. Welcome, David Yonker, and you sent me an interesting quote. It's actually the uh, the tagline, should we say, from a promotional poster for the new movie, Interstellar, and here's the quote, all in caps, mankind's next step will be our greatest. Did I say that right, David Yonker? <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I love the dramatic. I want to be movie girl. I want to be movie girl instead of movie man. So talk to me. Welcome back. How are you, David? I'm great. Thanks for having me back, Bonnie. And, Delighted. And, uh, looking forward to the conversation. Uh, well, we're already deep into it, so it's yes. your turn now. Tell me about, well, first of all, what did you think of the movie? And second of all, why did you pick this quote for a show about IoT and big data? Go ahead. Yeah, you bet. Um, the uh, yeah, I'd probably recommend seeing the movie. Uh, you know, as if you're looking for a Christmas gift this uh, this um, uh, Christmas. Although I'm not sure whether it's out on DVD yet. I think, uh, it, but it might be still out in theater, depending mm-hmm. on uh, where you are, where is. you live. But uh, um, uh, and and great movie uh, at some level. Uh, probably a uh, little criticism here. Maybe a, a slightly condensed version would be great. Three hours was a little bit long. I thought they could kind of accelerate it. Uh, but, but lots of interesting insights within it, for sure. Um, yeah. So if you haven't seen so, it, I don't know, maybe, have you seen it yet, Bonnie? I haven't. I don't think it's my kind of movie, but I, I also am not too keen on movies that go past a little over two hours. I don't know. Maybe it's an age thing, but it's like, <laughs> tell, me, tell me the story and let's go out to dinner. Enough is enough already. I agree. So, so let me repeat the quote again, and I want you to relate that to our topic. Mankind's next step will be our greatest. I see that future forward-looking, uh, future tense. Talk to me. How does this relate, in, in your mind, relate to our topic today, David Yonker? Yeah, you bet. Not to, not to kind of uh, make a spoiler of the movie, but uh, in the movie, essentially, um, they set off to essentially establish a, a new colony on, a, on another pa- planet. So this, this kind of this great leap forward, leveraging technology to, uh, you, you know, to, to establish something new in a, in a wonderful way. And, and in many ways, Internet of Things has that potential, right? I'm, uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, I'm, a, I'm an optimist uh, often when it comes to technology and the, and the opportunity that it presents. And Internet of Things has that. You know, you look at some of the, the new innovations that are going on, uh, you know, and the ways that we can use sensors and the ways that we can automate technology. Um, and, uh, you know, there's this uh, utopian feel to it at some level. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also a sort of a dark side to the movie if you watch it. See, the, mm-hmm. the whole premise of the movie was that uh, we've kind of ruined planet Earth with technology. Uh, and and so, so our next great leap here in the movie, uh, Interstellar, they need to make that leap because they've kind of destroyed planet Earth. They haven't taken care of it. Um, and, and so there's always sort of this, this side of technology, too, where, you know, if we're not careful, we can misuse it. And, uh, Dave, I'm going to pick on uh, something you said uh, a few minutes earlier uh, when you were talking about your quote. Um, you said, uh, you know, big data allows us to make better decisions. And uh, um, so I would, I would probably kind of tweak what you said there. I'd probably say, actually, uh, you know, uh, Internet of Things and big data and, and all that helps us to make more informed decisions. But better is one of these words where, you know, there's a lot of value associated with that. And we all have different values. Uh, you know, in the movie uh, Interstellar, uh, you, you know, they went and they, uh, at the time, they thought they, they were making great decisions about how to use technology, but they kind of they bankrupted Earth. Uh, and, uh, and so maybe in, in hindsight, they weren't the better decisions. Um, and, and so there's the, that challenge there, right, with technology. We always have to be careful. Huge opportunity, but, you know, but how we make those decisions, we need a lot of wisdom in that. 
Well, and, and David, Dave, I'll tell go you, ahead, in David. Boston right now, um, mm-hmm. we are in uh, collective mourning um, over just this kind of issue. Um, uh, John W. Henry, the um, owner of the Boston Red Sox, made his fortune as a quant. And um, he is, you know, boy, if there is ever a data guy, it was, it's John W. Henry. And so he came up with this um, uh, study that showed that pitchers, uh, in particular, over age 30, their um, performance drops off. And uh, so he used that for leverage when they were negotiating with um, our great pitcher John Lester, who unfortunately is now going to the White Sox because uh, they ended up blowballing him on the thing on the basis <laughs> of an analysis. And in fact, one of the things I wanted to make a plug for that um, I was so impressed with was an article in Wired within the, I think it was about a year or so ago, called Quants Don't Know Everything. And they talked in there, and I think this is very relevant uh, to the IoT that, and, and to big data in general, that uh, there, are sort of, there are four stages in um, including data in, a, in corporate decision-making. The first one is sort of ignorance, and uh, you're blissfully unaware. And the second one, you uh, start to include uh, data in your decision making, and it actually improves things. The third one, and the the news peg for this particular story, was that scandal last year about the um, VA hospitals. You know where um, they came up with metrics to measure performance, uh, and specifically that uh, I guess it was that a uh, patient had to be seen within 14 days, and they instituted that as a goal, and then, um, unfortunately, they ended up cooking the books in order to um, be able to meet those metrics. And, And then there is a fourth stage, and I think this is what we are really uh, trying to get about, and it requires an interesting marriage of technological tools and the input from the data um, and something called judgment. <laughs> and that's mm. a synthesis mm. where all of those factors come together, and the decision making is very much informed by uh, data, and particularly real time data, but it isn't everything. So there's still yeah. going to be. A human judgment. judgment. David Yonker, yeah. thoughts on that? Uh, agreed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there is a role for judgment, and the challenge always is who who makes that who makes that value judgment. Um, you know, in in all of this, and and um, but uh, you know, part of it, the the key is that you know, as we talk about technology and the Internet of Things and data and that kind of stuff, you know, my hope is that that, that element of the conversation doesn't end. It's not an easy question to answer. Um, no, but, it's not. Uh, you know, but, but as long as, as people are cognizant, cognizant of it and engaging in that conversation, I think, I think we're miles ahead. Right. Well, b- both of you know me well enough to know that if I hear a word that I'm not sure of the meaning, and I think our audience might not, I go look it up. So while you were doing, while you were talking, I looked up the word quant. Oh, silly girl, Bonnie, you don't know what a quant is. Well, it looks like a quantitative analyst or quant is a person who specializes in the application of mathematical and statistical methods such as numerical or quantitative techniques to financial and risk management problems. Did I get that right, both David? Am I on the right track? Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's right. 
now, now I'll tell you a little bit about, thank God I have four screens and they're big and I could do a lot of stuff, uh, talk about multitasking. John William Henry II, let's do a, a reference here, is an American businessman and investor. He founded John W. Henry and Company. He is, as David Stephenson said, the principal owner of the Boston Globe. Uh, we have to add that, the Boston Red right. Sox and the Liverpool Football Club and co-owner of Roush Fenway Racing. He was born in 1949, so I think he's at least one of a couple of us on this call. Maybe not David Yonker. I think you're in another generation. Uh, let's see. And he's got a couple of wives and a couple of kids. And his favorite movie or a movie is Lucky Them, whatever that is. So that's the reference there. Now, I want to go back to um, David Yonker. I have a question for you about the movie. We're going to put our break off for a few more minutes because we're having just too much fun here. And I still have to ask you, too, what you're drinking for the holidays. But but David Yonker, question. You mentioned, without doing too much of a spoiler and too much buzzkill about the movie Interstellar, uh, Mankind's Next Step will be our greatest that mankind is going somewhere else because they've destroyed Earth with technology. Do you see this movie as kind of a morality play, as a, an, a fable of, well, we really gucked this one up, so let's go see if we can start fresh somewhere else, and is this a warning to people? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it is, and, and it's it's interesting to see a number of these uh, sort of um, you know, it, the uh, Interstellar kind of seems to play that line. I mean, it's a, a, a dystopian sort of film with, you know, at the end, uh, a u- utopian feel to it, right? Like uh, there's uh, redemption at the end, but there's lots of sort of these dystopian type films out there, uh, you know, and how we, around technology, and there, there is that risk. You know, we look at what's happening on our planet, um, and I'd say that we're smarter, uh, hopefully we're wiser, um, uh, today than say we were, you know, um, uh, you know, even just, uh, uh, you know, in Edison's day, for example, right? I mean, I mean, he was a, he, there's no doubt he was a smart and uh, very successful man. And I'm not saying he's not wise. He probably was, but, you know, the, the uh, level of knowledge back then was much more limited. Theoretically, we know more, but of course the danger around that is you think you know everything and you don't, right? It's, it's, um, uh, you know, there's, there's always that, sort of challenge there. Um, now, yeah. one more question. Did they use a lot of, did they show a lot of sensors in the movie? Did they display what we're talking about here about the intersection of big data from sensors and the IoT? Anything special that they showed about sensors that was amazing or new, David Yonker? Yeah, great question. I mean, uh, the the sensors were de- sort of uh, implicit within the film for sure, right? As, as they were, uh, one, not only exploring space, you know, using sensors essentially that uh, machines that were out in the in uh, you know traveling the universe, finding a planet to land on, um, and bringing that data back and analyzing it and making decisions. But but even that, you know, there was a limitation to where the sensors could get. Eventually, we needed humans to go to those planets, if you like, in the film, and discover what was really there. Um, but interestingly enough, on planet Earth. Um, they uh, they very much downplayed the the sensors. Uh, you know, this was of course his view. Uh, you know, the the mm-hmm. uh, producer's view or the director's view. Um, but uh, they, they talked a lot more about how uh, at some level we we stopped and maybe even slightly regressed in terms of our use of technology, but also in terms of our society. Uh, although although interestingly enough, there were some drones flying around uh, on planet Earth. Ah. But I'll, I'll leave it at that. 
Yeah. And that, that goes another Christmas gift, another possibility <laughs> for a Christmas or a Hanukkah gift where we just started Hanukkah last night. Guess what, guys? We're going to go back to our format. I'm loving the conversation. It's so appropriate. We're talking about movies and books and gift giving and we're, what, how many days away from Christmas? It's the 17th of December. Eight days? Is that possible? OMG. So let's talk about holiday drinks. David Stevenson, anything special in your cup today or what do you plan to drink for your special drink well, this holiday? Well, I have to tell you today, I put a Inside my um, my cup of uh, Lapsang Souchong tea, and in order to be really focused for the show today, um, I'm drinking this uh, very interesting water that my um, uh, brother-in-law actually uh, manufactures. So you, you know, manufacturing water? That sounds a little strange, but it's called uh, Wata W A T T dash A H H, and uh, the cool thing about it is it's got an extra molecule of um, oxygen in it, and that Ooh. gives it all sorts of amazing principles, um, particularly in healing and things of that sort, so I figured I was going to have a cup of that to uh, to keep me really focused for the show today. <laughs> well, I appreciate an extra molecule of oxygen. I think I could use one of those most days. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Send it over, Gift Rapid. David Yonker, what are you drinking? Anything really interesting? Well, I am uh, staring down at uh, a, a, a protein drink, and and I, and I got to explain why I've been drinking protein. So um, you know the whole wearables and sensor craze, and sort of monitor mm-hmm. you know monitor you, monitor your health. I've I've kind of embraced that, and I've been I've been tracking what I eat, uh, and I've been also tracking you know my exercise. I've been wearing a Fitbit, and I've got a number of other apps on my iPhone that you know sort of track uh, you know. Not not in this cold weather up here in Canada, but but um, you know earlier in the year, sort of where I cycle. But here was the interesting thing that kind of came out uh, in the analysis of uh, you know quantified my eating. Uh, essentially, so a lot of people think, oh, I, you know, you probably eat too much fat and you know stick to low fat. I actually discovered I actually don't get enough fat. Um, really? I, yeah, I don't get enough fat. Um, I uh, blow the number on sugar. I get way too much sugar. Uh, in fact, actually, I remember seeing an article uh, recently in a, a Canadian magazine talking about the fact that actually the big problem that most uh, people face in North America in particular is they, they consume way too much sugar and way too much sodium. It's not fat that's the problem. Um, but uh, that's an interesting side conversation. Uh, the reason I've got a protein drink sitting in front of me is the other thing I discover is I actually don't get enough protein. Uh, and so I now drink once a day a protein supplement to, to up that. Wow, very interesting. Well, thank you for the health note. Let's see, so far, what have we covered? We've covered the movie. We've covered a bio on Benjamin Franklin. We've talked about Mr. Henry and the Boston uh, the Boston teams and the Boston Globe. We've talked about quants. That's a new word for me. And I'm going to tell you that I'm simply drinking water, normal Long Island tap water, which happens to taste pretty good. But I'll probably have a sip of something a little more interesting tonight to start the holiday celebration. So there, this is a very lively and fun conversation. I think we're allowed to have fun. This is the Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio. And again, a shout out to Ira Burke, who is traveling somewhere way far away and couldn't be with us today. And we've invited back our speakers from part one of this topic, David Stevenson of Stevenson Strategies. 
David Yonker of SAP. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and we have a lot more territory to cover. Our topic today is at the intersection of big data and the Internet of Things Part 2. I think we're going to have a lot more surprises in the rest of the conversation. When we come back after the break, we'll have David Stephenson start us off on our roundtable. I think we already started it, actually, but let's say we'll continue the roundtable to be accurate. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Hope you're smiling and learning along with us. We'll We'll be right back. Michael, out. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Here we are. Welcome back. We're almost halfway through the show and we're officially kicking off the roundtable segment. I have just two guests, really good conversationalists and wonderful thought leaders today. We have W. David Stevenson, but we know him so well, he told us we could drop the W, and we have David Yonker, so it's David and David. And our topic today is part two of At the Intersection of Big Data and the Internet of Things. If you missed the first half, we've talked about Ben Franklin, we've talked about the movie Interstellar. Yes, a few spoilers, but that's okay, all in the good spirit of the holiday and in the spirit of Internet of Things. So let's officially kick off this part of the roundtable, and I'm going to ask David Stevenson to talk about the following notes he sent me before the show. He says, in the past, data trickled down from top management and might or might not eventually get to operators on the shop floor. So we're doing a manufacturing reference here. And David says, now everyone can get immediate access to data. So David Stevenson, why don't you expand on this, and then we'll give David Yonker a chance to do point counterpoint with you. Go ahead. Sure, Bonnie. You know, I, I, I may be totally wrong on this because I'm the only person I've ever seen um, writing about this particular issue, but I really do think it's uh, going to bring about a uh, revolution. And that is that, you know, in the past, it was so hard to get data. 
in the first place that, as, as we said earlier, most of what we did have was historical, and it was fragmentary at best. And um, so one of the big roles of managers was to be the gatekeeper for data, and they would analyze it and then, in a very linear fashion, would pass it on to the next person, and it would eventually trickle down or not. And by the time it did, you know, it was so dated that um, it really wasn't helpful to anybody um, in, in a lot of cases. And so what is so revolutionary about the IoT is that we can, for the first time, have instant access to real-time data by everyone who needs it. There's no latency involved there. And now... Obviously, not all of that data is going to be relevant to everybody. So there still is um, a, a gatekeeper role there, but I think it's going to have to change. And one of the things that's really interesting about this is that I have a strong belief. This comes out of a, a book I wrote a couple years ago called Data Dynamite, where I was talking about the benefits of shared data as opposed to um, uh, having it uh, proprietary, that uh, a really remarkable kind of thing can happen when you actually start to share data. We are all individuals, just, you know, for example, the three of us. And if we saw, each of us saw the same data set, I'd be willing to bet that we would each, because of our own backgrounds and interests, would draw different implications from that. And then the cool thing is, you know, if one of us came up with an idea, chances are that might trigger something that uh, another person would come up with that the first person wouldn't have thought of. And so you get these amazing synergies out of the whole thing, and I think that is really going to potentially, it's because it's not automatic, that, you know, there's still going to be this tendency, I think, unless managers get beyond that, to um, keep tight control of data. So it's going to be a really interesting uh, management challenge, but I maintain one that it's really worth trying because the more eyeballs you have examining that data, the more richness you're going to find and the more synergies created. David Yonker, thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I would agree with David. I, I think that uh, from a, a goal perspective, we, you know, to, to give people data is, is key, right? We, we want people enabled to, to take action with data. Um, but uh, to David's point, um, you know, data and Internet of Things are not, democrat, quote, unquote, democratic by nature. Uh, and, and in fact, actually, uh, technology has been used throughout history to uh, define classes, if you like. Not, not that we want to get into that conversation, but, you know, to, to define relationships and organization. Um, and, and there is a place where, you know, it could go either way. I mean, I, hopefully managers and management will uh, equip their, you know, the front lines, their employees with data, but, but it's not a given. Um, but the potential for, for change there and for, for making amazing things to happen is huge, I think. Okay. Uh, I want to expand that. Thank you very much, both. I want to expand that a little more, David Stephenson. Um, let's talk about the decision-making. Let's go into that. A decision. Everyone has simultaneous access to data. You talked about the question of if senior management is a gatekeeper, are they stopping it? David Yonker added that data is not, the process of getting data, using it is not democratic. So let's talk about decision-making. We alluded to this in the opening. We mentioned it. Data decision-making data decision will also change. Um, 
how do you see it changing right now? Well, is is sure, it changing you know, right I, now? I can't remember if I mentioned this in our first show, but one of my favorite uh, examples of this phenomenon at work is that IBM teamed up with the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto. David, you probably know about them. And um, they plastered the bassinets in the NICU uh, for Mm -hmm. the the really sickest, smallest preemies with uh, sensors. And so I can't remember the the figures, but (laughs) an astonishing amount of data comes from each one of those babies every day. And they had a really interesting thing, going back to the issue of the decision-making. They involved both data scientists and subject specialists, and they did a lot of analysis of that data stream. And by combining the skill sets of the data scientists and the subject matter experts, they, they found the most amazing thing, that a full day before these babies were showing any sign of an infection, their heartbeats became incredibly regular. Nobody had ever known that before because, you know, the data wasn't available. Um, So, uh, uh, you know, critical part of it was the availability of the data. But the other part was the interplay of these differing people with differing skill sets in terms of analyzing the data. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, that's really going to be a fascinating challenge, I think. And again, I, I, from my perspective, it argues for the approach that I was talking about of giving as many people as possible simultaneous access to the data because you get that interplay of the perspectives. So Thank you, David. David Yonker, thoughts about that? Yeah, I think... Uh, um, you know, hopefully decision-making will be less gut at some level. Uh, you know, it's amazing with how much information has existed up to this point. How, you know, we still make sort of gut-level decisions or we're not informed or we're not leveraging the data that we do have available. There's always a risk that that will continue. Um, but, uh, you know, the goal of equipping people with information is, is, is fundamental, right? When we have that feedback, it's a whole lot easier to sort of take action and make decisions. Uh, very much like um, the... the um, the case uh, David was talking about, right? When you know uh, that this is a signal to look for and you give that feedback, you can take action. Um, but getting that information, of course, is key. Right. Thank you, David. I'm looking at David Yonker's notes now from part one. There are some things we covered and some things I think it's worth going back and looking at again. One of your topics continues to fascinate me, David Yonker. You say even things need their privacy. Now, we're living in a world now where no matter where you go and what you do, people are talking about the customer experience, the user experience. Let's just look at retail because it's holiday season. And some people love it when they walk in a store and somebody would say, hello, Mr. David Yonker. Well, it's been 13 days, 22 seconds and 14 minutes since you've been in here and last time you were here in our store you bought three things for your brother your uncle and your wife and now you're coming back and we know that your bank balance is a little bit lower but we'd like to sell you some Christmas gifts and we can direct you to the right department that's either scary or creepy or David Yonker might say hey that's really cool I'm a valued shopper they love what's in my wallet now so we know about people issue with privacy I hope that wasn't too silly an example but maybe it worked for some people so you say even things need their privacy privacy is one of the big looming issues around IoT and big data. So why don't you expand that for us, David Yonker? 
You bet, yeah. The, the thing we often forget is that things are often uh, directly associated with or even tangentially associated with people, individuals. Um, and, uh, and it's amazing what you can know about a person based on uh, very limited bits of information. Um, and a great use case or uh, example around this would be uh, sensors and tires. So this is becoming uh, quite common or more common uh, to put within especially com- commercial vehicles. And so the idea is you have a sensor in the tire, it'll tell you what the, the pressure level is, right? So isn't it, and if you're buying like, you know, thousands of tires every year, right, because you've got a whole fleet of vehicles, Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to make sure you got the right tire pressure, right? Because you can save, uh, you know, just crazy amounts of money. Um, but uh, so there are solutions out there, for example, that'll read those sensors uh, in the tires, beam it up to a central cloud, uh, and then you can kind of analyze that, that data and, and inform uh, people when tire pressure needs to go up. But, uh, but those vehicles are being driven around. And as they're being driven around, uh, you know, you're sort of tracking the information off those sensors. You're also sort of tracking where that vehicle was because that information is often associated with that, right? As that information flows off the tire, it goes to some, uh, you know, somewhere in a, in a telecommunications network, which at a minimum will tell you essentially where that vehicle is or was. Um, and that instantly actually uh, creates a privacy issue. Right? Who should be allowed to know where that driver was? Uh, and you might say, well, if he's an employee or she's an employee, then you know, I should have every right to know where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it raises kind of these sticky issues, right? And those sticky issues uh, vary from one country to the next. And so you know, while it might be okay in one country to do that, it's completely not okay to do it in another country. Um, and, uh, and so it, it's, a, you know, it's sort of a... It's a very easy sort of trap to fall into. We have to kind of go in with our, uh, you know, our um, blinders off um, to, to sort of uh, see that. Actually, uh, not to, to keep, uh, not to, to belabor the point too far, but uh, before the Internet of Things, this was a, a sort of a big data challenge. I believe it was related to Kaggle, which is a, a, um, uh, was a crowdsourcing website for, for data scientists. Uh, or quants, if you like, uh, to solve these problems. And, and Netflix provided all of their data and said, hey, you know, go and analyze this. If you come up with a better algorithm, we'll give you lots of money, right? So they kind of crowdsourced mm-hmm. improving uh, the Netflix algorithm. Um, but a bunch of smart people realized that you could – so all that data was anonymized, right, because you're taking essentially user data and sharing it and providing that. Um, and uh, what they discovered was actually – some pretty smart quants were able to figure out who each of those people were just based on the recommendations they had made. Um, so even though they had obfuscated the data or, or encrypted parts of you know, the personal information, some smart people were able to figure it out. Um, and, uh, and so you know, there's lots of issues around that, or the cell phone for that matter, right? Most mm-hmm. teleco companies, if they're tracking that data, they can know where you are or where you are within a couple feet anywhere at any time. Um, and so, you know, we've got to kind of think through those issues uh, as we deal with the Internet of Things. David, uh, this is Bonnie, on, and David Stevenson, I want to hear from you, but just to comment, I'm a big fan of the CSI and NCSI, some of the CSI, but NCSI shows on TV what we call the procedurals, the uh, investigation shows, and, and it seems that we are already living in a world where everybody knows 
an awful lot about any one of us, from from a fingerprint on a wall when they come into your apartment to to the records of your car license plate being captured on a toll booth on some parkway somewhere, to your cell phone records. So uh, privacy, great big issue. David Yonker, I'm glad you articulated that, because if we're not aware of it, we really should be aware of it. And if we like it or not, I don't know if we have the opportunity to say, no, stop. I think it's already, do you think it's already past the point where an individual can say, no, I don't want you to to take a picture of my license plate everywhere I go. No, I don't want that camera outside the restaurant so you can see who I'm kissing goodnight to when I leave dinner tomorrow night. <laughs> David, are we are we literally living in a CSI world where we all are prime to be investigated and they'll know too much about us if they ever stop to look at us? Are we at that point, David Yonker? I don't think so. I think that it still has a way to go. I know that there's been obviously a lot of press around uh, you know tracking of in- individuals by uh, the NSA and that kind of stuff. I think some mm-hmm. of that is overblown. I mean, I have no doubt that they're they're collecting some of that data. I don't think it's to the extent sometimes that, that we think it is. Um, there's definitely a place for government regulation. I think it varies from country to country, you know, to, to what extent that that's, uh, that's handled. Uh, and I think sometimes, you know, even though I believe we need to be very careful about it, I, sometimes we do sort of overreact to it. You know, a perfect mm-hmm. example is, you know, I bring my phone with me and when I go shopping at my uh, local grocery store, I'm happy for them to actually take my information. They know exactly everything I buy, and then they make very personalized uh, coupons for me uh, that I can just scan. All I have to do is provide my phone once, and I get all those discounts instantly. And they're all tailored exactly to what I buy on a week-by-week basis. And I know I've got confidence in the company that I'm, that I'm working with that, uh, you know, yeah, there's an algorithm behind there that sort of makes an estimate of what those recommendations are, but there's nobody, you know, behind that that says, oh, well, David Yonkers, this kind of guy, and, you know, he's eating more sugar than he should, and, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, you know, so um, it's just a, another one of these slippery slopes we've got to kind of be careful about. Very true. David Stevenson, I know you have a lot to say. Join us, please. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bonnie, you know, it's interesting. On the specific example that David gave of the, the tire gauges, um, there was a, a fascinating article in, of all places, Vanity Fair last year with uh, a great title on it. Instead of watch it, he's got a gun, it was watch it, he's got an iPhone. And <laughs> it was a wrap-up of all of these um, scary things that um, you could do with uh, data and devices. And um, the one that came to mind in in the light of what David said was there was an academic team in the U.S., I can't remember what school they were at, who um, figured out um, the algorithm for those um, sensors from the tires and they were able to stand along an interstate and actually spoof that data so that they showed it would be possible to um, send you a fake uh, low, low pressure. You know, those, the signal that shows up on your dashboard now if you've mm-hmm. got low tire pressure so that people conceivably would pull off the road and you rob them. Um, so uh, it, wow. that, that's extreme, but it does show how uh, this data uh, can and will be exploited. I, years ago, I used to do corporate crisis management uh, when companies had done 
dumb things, and I had to come in and try to bail them out. And uh, one of the things that I found in doing that, I worked primarily with engineers. On I'm very right-brained and intuitive, and they were almost always the exact opposite from me. And, you know, if you're familiar with the um, Myers-Briggs test, I was an mm-hmm. uh, ENFP, and they were the exact opposite of that. And they would um, have such a hard time understanding the phenomenon of fear when it mm-hmm. came to one of these corporate crisis situations because they were able to immediately logically dissect why that fear was unfounded. And what I had such a hard time explaining to them was that, guess what, the fact that it isn't logical doesn't mean it isn't real. And one of the things that really uh, actually seriously does worry me about um, this issue when it comes to the IoT, there was an example uh, a couple years ago, a, a firm that actually ended up, a company that got uh, fined by the FTC. That was the first time they ever intervened in an IoT case, and it was because they had um, basically no security. And uh, if I remember correctly, it, w- it was a baby cam, and um, uh, somebody hacked it. There's a, a website uh, called Shodan that is uh, advertised as a um, as Google for things, and it's got IP addresses on it for all sorts of things all over the world. This guy was able to hack into the camera and was screaming obscenities at this baby. And mm. it, unfortunately, the public doesn't discern the differences in this kind of situation. I'm very worried that if everybody in the field doesn't take security and privacy seriously, uh, we're going to be in big trouble. I was giving a speech in Washington in uh, October where there was a startup talking about a wearable device, and it was kind of cool and everything, and then uh, somebody asked them what they were doing about privacy and security, and they said, oh, you know, we're just a startup um, that's high on our list, and I... (laughs) wanted to bolt out of my chair and say, hey, wait, it better be at the top of your list because if you lose the public trust on that, um, everything can go down the tube. So I, I, I think that really is a serious issue for us. Very much so. David Yonker, thoughts, responses? Yeah, I, I agree. I uh, hadn't heard about that whole, um, uh, you know, those students being able to spoof on the, on the sideline. That's uh that's fascinating, yeah. um, but but you know uh, a very real sort of situation, right? How do we protect these networks and and um, you know? But I think I think companies can do a lot. Uh, you know, to David's point, if if they, you know, it's it's important that you show that you're taking this seriously and and uh, sort of build that trust um, with your with your customers because that's going to be make or break for you. Um, regula- regulation, I think, will come uh, in some way, shape, or form, but. You know, it, it'll never cover everything. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, even in the Internet of Things, it's all about those trust relationships. Certainly is. Uh, I'm going to open up a question to both my panelists. We've got in 10 minutes left before the end of the show. I can give you a quick break or we can just go right into our predictions crystal ball round. I have a feeling we're not going to take a break. But, David Stevenson, can you keep going for another 10 minutes without a break? Oh, sure. Yep. 
Okay, good. David Yonker, you got that? I can do it. I got my protein drink, so I'm good. All right. All right. I like that. So why don't we turn back to David Stevenson, our opening speaker, and why don't we take a look at, uh, well, you know how the predictions work, except you're not going to have a a two and a half minute on the clock window here. We're going to give you a little more time. Tell you what, let's do a point counterpoint rather than just a speech. So David Yonker, why don't you give, uh, David Stevenson, excuse me, why don't you give me about two minutes of predictions, then we'll have David Yonker. And then we'll have a little debate on whether you agree with each other's predictions, because I think we have enough time for that. So, David Stevenson, brief it to the point. Give me your top predictions for if we had this conversation, I don't know, 2020, 2025, however far you see in the future. What do you think will be different about all of the issues we've talked about, the intersection of big data and IoT? Go ahead. Sure, Bonnie. I think that the the technological progress on this um, is advanced enough that, um, the predictions really are going to take place, and um, that sensors are going to be ubiquitous, and um, we are just going to know so much more than we do uh, today about everything. And where I'm really fascinated by this is, uh, I think I mentioned in our first show, the if site, if this, then that. And um, what they do is, they uh, take algorithms from various products like the Hue Lights from Philips and um, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Nest thermostats and stuff like that, and then throw that open to the public to do new mashups, where the idea behind it is if a certain kind of circumstance happens on one side, then it triggers something on the other side. And I, why I think that's relevant is it seems to me, and this is purely anecdotal. It's just a hunch on my part, Mm -hmm. but I I feel fairly confident about it, that if that happens, um, and if we um, have sensors on everything, and if the algorithms are available, whether it's to the public through a site like IFT, or um, I'm sort of intrigued by the idea of IFT behind the firewall, where Mm -hmm. people within a corporation would be able to create um, those mashups, then I think we're going to find that all of the predictions, and there's some pretty astonishing ones out there already from people like Cisco and uh, GE and others about the potential for the Internet of Things, I think those are actually going to be conservative because I think it's only going to be when all of these things are sensor-laden and all that data becomes available, we're going to discover mashups and convergences and um, synergies that we can't even visualize now. It's, it's going to take a while for all that to happen. So I'm very optimistic about what's going to happen when this is fully implemented. I like optimism. David Yonker, let's hear your predictions, and then we'll go back and forth a little bit. We've got uh, six minutes left, so let's see if we can play a little bit. But I'd love to have your two minutes of your main predictions for big data and the IoT. Yeah, I, I think that uh, there will definitely be more sensors out there. Uh, so I, I've, I've got an agreement on, on that. I'm not, uh, I'm not certain that uh, I agree that... Um, uh, they will be ubiquitous. I think that uh, it, I think that it'll take longer for some of this technology to deploy. What we'll probably see is an accelerated path in some places, like industry, um, because uh, you know our our um, society is organized around uh, you know driving profits for corporations, and so 
we will see uh, places where people can either make money because consumers are willing to pay for it, right? So you see new IoT services, or you're going to see uh, the use of IoT to sort of really drive, um, uh, you know, optimization of uh, business processes, manufacturing processes, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and probably that's where we'll sort of see the, the biggest growth, in my opinion. Um, the consumables and, and wearables and the, you know, the automated homes, you know, they're starting to come. In fact, I was, uh, I'm not that far in my home, uh, but, um, you know, I was uh, visiting a friend's home and uh, they just moved into a new condo and it's, it's all decked out. Everything's controllable from their iPad. Very cool. Um, you know, so, so it's coming, but I think some of that stuff will take time. Um, I think that one of the, the, the sort of um, uh, things we'll see that, that may happen sort of out of the blue is uh, as some of these innovations come, right, and if we, if we start to get specific around some of these sort of, if we... Lump, I'm going to lump a couple things into Internet of Things, mm-hmm. and we can sure. debate whether they fit there. But, um, okay. you know, when we start to talk about uh, uh, um, vehicles that can drive or, you know, um, self-driving vehicles or, uh, you know, partially self-driving vehicles, we're seeing quite a few of those coming out. Um, when we start talking about uh, 3D printing and the ability to push that out, whether we call that an Internet of Things is, is uh, you know, we can sort of debate. But some of those, some of these technologies and, and Internet of Things uh, just generally fits within this. They have the potential to sort of change uh, some of our social and organizational structures. And I think that we'll see... Um, some changes within society and how it's organized in ways that maybe we never anticipated. Um, and some for, for the good, some maybe for the worse. Um, you know, but that would be my, that would be my prediction. Or one of my predictions, some of my predictions. Thank you very much. Michael has just informed me that we have about four minutes left. I'm going to toss something. Instead of debating, because I I think we're uh, pretty good on what both of you said on predictions, I'm going to toss something over the fence here. Reading an article, uh, a certain company based in Cupertino, nothing I'm familiar with, announces 2015 predictions for Internet of Things. Let me just get a agree or disagree. Let's play this game. Uh, Number one, the first first of their four IoT predictions are the rise of the chief IoT officer. Woo-hoo. David Stevenson, agree or disagree? Would that be on your list of predictions? Quickly, yes or no? Do we have David uh, Stevenson with us? Yep, I'm here. Okay, what do you think? The rise of the chief IoT officer. Um, the, oh, the chief! Oh, the chief IoT officer. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. That's the first time I'd ever heard about that. Yeah, me too. I think that, that could happen, although. I'm not so sure that we need that um, as opposed to the CIO, depending on his or her skill set. So okay, I'm let me get a little bit dubious about that one. Okay, dubious is a good thing. It's thoughtful uh, and mindful. David Yonker, agree or disagree with that one? I disagree. We'll see. Okay, we'll see the chief data officer, not the chief IoT officer. Okay, good point. Let me put another one on the table before we run out of time. Analytics will be a priority for IoT initiatives. 2014 was about sensors and devices, and that 2015 will be uh, analytics-based. What do you think? David Stevenson, agree, disagree? I think that's of a piece with our whole discussion, that uh, you have to really make sense of all of this. Uh, data by itself is not helpful. It's, it's um, when you analyze it and make sense of it. Yep. And make good judgments. David Yonker, agree or disagree? I agree, though, frankly, devices have a long way to go still. Okay, good. And last one. Let's see what you think about this. We're almost out of time. Industrial Enterprise IoT will take center stage in the media spotlight. Ooh, David Stevenson, agree or disagree? 
I somehow don't quite see it as that dramatic. I think it's definitely going to, I agree with David that it's going to be the first thing to really evolve, but I'm not quite sure, unless we have some, um, you know, instead of the office on TV, if we mm-hmm. have the factory, then um, then that might be, uh, you know, a comedy with Steve Carell or something. <laughs> Dressed up as DuPont. Sure in his, that's going to get the huge media in his, focus. In his foxcatcher DuPont mask. David Yonker, agree or disagree? Fast. I've got the same opinion. Uh, I, I'm not sure it's going to be the big media hype, uh, but uh, it'll definitely be the thing that's, uh, where the, the money is. Okay, and the back comment on this one was consumer IoT has received a disproportionate amount of media attention compared to industrial IoT. That's where they based it. David Stevenson, David Yonker, it's been such a good time speaking with both of you. You're good-spirited, good-natured, articulate, wonderful thought leaders. Thank you so much for joining me. This is our, almost our last show of the year. I'm going to be back tomorrow morning with Innovating Innovation with Game Changers at 10 a.m. Eastern, so we have one more live show to go. Shout out, of course, to Ira Burke for organizing this or suggesting to me, I corral you two to be on. Shout out to Michael and the Business Channel team at World Talk World Talk Radio and Business Radio. And uh, let's see, I have one more shout out to do. My shout out to all of our wonderful listeners. Happy holiday. Happy New Year. Wishing you everything happy and good and healthy and productive and whatever you wish for. And here's my call to action. Fasten your holiday seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another live edition of the Internet of Things with Game Changers presented by SAP. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.